Good afternoon and welcome back to Other Minds and Hands. This is episode number 27. And today Maggie is uh, joining us, not unfortunately, actually from uh, Tyrion upon Tuna, but um, from an airport. So if you hear some background noise, Maggie is uh, Maggie is faithfully joining us under adverse circumstances today. I'm literally sitting on the floor of Portland International Airport waiting to board my flight home. So I'll have yes. to leave a few minutes early to board a plane, but I am here and I'm getting some weird stares. But I'm also sitting in front of a lime green painted wall and I was like, I have a green screen. <laughs> so I can put this up. <laughs> it's the little it was, guys. It's the little Yeah, guys. there you go. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I look forward to. Uh, I've I've been to Portland, so I haven't gotten to see the lime um, green beauty of uh, of those well, walls there. I mean, the airport's under construction, so it's going to be beautiful <laughs> the next time I come. But right now, it's a little bit of a mess. But Portland's the best. I awesome. City, so it's been fun. Awesome. But pumped to be here today. This this is our last one for two weeks, right? Because we're not going to do Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, we're going to miss Thanksgiving next week. So yeah, so yeah, we'll make American the most Thanksgiving of today. Yeah. Exactly. So. Today we are turning after an awesome discussion with Bear McCreary last week. Can we That's just amazing. like pause to reflect on that for a moment? Um, just, really, just really bear. excited. Yeah, I could just yeah. sit and chat with him for ages. He's so thoughtful in his responses, and I feel like we keep finding that. Like nobody's mm-hmm. just there to do a job. They're all there because yeah. they're they're part of this passion, and you can tell the thought that went into everything and the detail they wanted to convey. Yeah, uh, it was lovely to hear his process. It it is a thing that I have been noticing, and that that uh, has made me kind of frustrated because there have been a lot of people, and I totally get where it's coming from. Like a lot of people who are either anxious about or who, who have been, you know, flatly asserting that like this whole thing is just this like uh, you know, uh, corporate lip service to Tolkien in order to try to you know exploit it for money. Um, and again, like I, look, you know, I'm I I, I have no brief. Yet. Yeah, I, I have no brief for the for like the corporate people who are, you know, in charge of the whole business or anything. Um, but every single person we have met who is a part of this production, who's actually making the show, um, has been very remarkable for their passion, dedication and engagement with this stuff. And that, um, and that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be an epic movie. You know, we've talked before about how that can sometimes be of burden and, and limit creativity because you have to be too close to the text. But as we said before, we don't have a clear text. So there's, you know, the freedom behind it, but it's just like really reassuring that, yeah. that the people behind this are really aware of it. And I'm sure I've talked about before, but I, I read about with um, the seeker, the darkest rising adaptation, which is you know the one that I'm obsessed with. Um, and that was adapted in 2007 and it came out on live TV on MTV with an intern interviewing the cast that only the director and one producer had read the text. And one of the main people they interviewed was like, it's a series. I might have to do this again on camera. He said this, like, I might have to make another film. Ew. Like, talk about a way to like, fans. So at least with this, like, it doesn't mean dedication and fandom equals good film, but it means in safe hands. I trust the process. We'll yeah. see what the result is, and it just is reassuring. Like, okay, Absolutely. you know what you're dealing with. Yeah, yeah, and that's a fascinating. I had not heard that story, um, oh. but it's a fascinating example of how like you can't absolutely assume that kind of thing. I mean, a lot of people would be like, well, clearly, I mean, you're undertaking an adaptation of this book. This must be a passion project out of love for this book, right? Not, 
always uh, and not necessarily. Um, but um, I mean, sometimes yeah. it's because the rights are about to expire and they have to move on it fast. So they punch <laughs> it out in 10 weeks, which is what happened with the future. And yeah. Right. Actually, that was more like capitalizing on fantasy audience because it came out like that post Harry Potter, Aragon mm-hmm. kind of era, and they just wanted to capture that audience, but they were too fast and crap. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a exactly. more professional opinion if you wanted, but that's the short version. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah. So, but back to Bear specifically. Um, I mean, oh, the, cool. it, it was, I am. I'm really excited. Um, so you and I, Maggie, were talking afterwards about how excited we are to see his blog posts when they come out. Um, you know, he, he, so he talked about, he's going to do, uh, detailed blog posts, one per episode, you know, eight posts, one, one per episode, uh, doing like some real deep dives in what he's doing in the soundtrack to each one of those episodes. Um, I think that's going to be fascinating. I mean, it's one of the things that's been so cool um, with our, you know, our opportunity to talk to Bear McCreary and to John Howe, um, looking at, you know, in these very different media, um, the ways in which they are doing adaptation, you know, and how they are, you know, and, and what's involved in that. I just, I don't know. I keep, uh, I keep coming back, <laughs> Maggie, to your wisdom about Uh-oh. this, about, no, about how, like, any film adaptation you see is the collaboration. This is a this is an adaptation project of, you know, dozens of people that you're seeing all coming together. It's not, it's not like an author who sits down, you know, with a laptop and writes a book. Um, not that that's as simple as that either. But um, no, but it's it's much more insular, and, a, and an, an author doesn't have to think about things like budget. They can create whatever they want in their brain. And you know, the example yeah. I, I think I gave before was Stardust with the the pirate ship in the sky, like. Right. It could have been a car, <laughs> right. and instead it was a pirate ship in the sky. So yeah, it, it's much more by committee in the right. process. Right. Exactly. And then you get, and so being able to kind of. Uh, having this opportunity to sort of tease it apart and looking at these different layers, right? Let's look at, you know, the art. Let's, let's talk to John Howe and look at the visual art and the way in which the visual art is sort of functioning as an adaptation of Tolkien's work. And then let's look at, let's talk to Bear McCreary and let's look at the music and think about how the music itself, like freestanding is an adaptation of Tolkien's work. And again, there's so many of these things that we can come. And then, you know, just as we had the opportunity in season to talk to a few of the actors and, and sort of think about them and, and their understanding of, you know, their work and their undertaking of the role. And because, I mean, each each actor is doing an adaptation of Tolkien's yeah. work and of Tolkien's world um, uh, in this. And then, of course, you've then you've got the directors and, and of course, the showrunners and, you know, the writers and every everybody else. Right. You know, kind of coming together on this. But it's also been so interesting to hear everybody's reaction to the showrunners kind of being the through line for all of that. You know, yeah. Bear was saying last week that they had enough trust in him that he never felt micromanaged and he never had to talk to the rest of the team. It wasn't a group project. He was left alone to do his own thing. And for them to be able to have the vision of what was happening in every department mm-hmm. and to be able to spend that time, because we heard from the actors as well, that they would have really deep conversations with the showrunners about their characters and about their arcs and about the intensity of that scene or that moment and things like that. So for them to be able to keep all of that in their brain. You know, right. I was consistently really impressed by their organization, <laughs> their memory, yeah. um, and also just how kind they seem to have been to everybody as humans interacting, but also creators giving space and allowing that process to, to come to fruition. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, totally agree. Well, we'll return to the music. Um, we're thinking about coming back. We, you know, we'll we'll check out those blog posts when they come. We might really take those as an opportunity to do a deep dive and really again use the sort of the music since we're you know, since Bear is going to be so generous in giving us all of that access to his thought process and what was going on there, um, using that as a kind of a case study, uh, sort of an adaptation case study, looking at the relationship between the creative process on the one hand and the source material on the other hand. Um, that kind of... Uh, the, 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 the phrase I keep using, not just about adaptation, but about lots of this kind of thing, the, 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 the category that I would love to see people kind of opening up to more is the idea of a creative engagement with a text, right? We talk about engaging with a text in lots of ways, right? Like, you know, I had an emotional engagement with the text when I was reading it. You can talk about an intellectual engagement, right? When you're doing like discussion and analysis and teaching classes on a text or whatever. Um, but a creative engagement, that's been um, really sidelined for a long time. Right. There's um, very little respect has been given to the idea of creatively engaging with a text. The fact that the very fact that people have been using the word fan fiction as a deadly insult itself. Right. Like, you know, uh, is an indication. Right. That of how far this idea of create of uh, creatively engaging with the text, like you read a text and the thing you want to do is to write something in response to it. Right. Yeah. That's a totally legitimate response. In fact, like that's <laughs> it's what we used to call literature, uh, you know, <laughs> in, in, a lot, in a lot of ways. So, um, you know, I mean, I think especially in, you know, in, 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 in my world, in medieval literature, that's exactly what was hap- what well, literature and, was. And it's TV writers, too. You know, a pilot comes out and then you have a team of people that work to write 10 episodes together existing in the same world. That, that's what yeah. that is. That is fan fiction. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but but again, thinking kind of getting beyond that, okay, that, you know, that that phrase which has become so pejorative, right? Even the even the the you know the application, even just the word itself, like the application of the word fan to fiction, right? As a kind of qualification, like it's it's fiction, in fact, right? It is yeah. a different category, right? I mean, creative yeah. engagement with a text is a different kind of thing than just you know inventing a story on your own. As if anybody just invents a story on their own, but that's a different question. Um, uh, but I, no, I mean it's this. Well, no, actually, it's not a different question. That's kind of the point, isn't it? That yeah, like it everybody is. who writes stories is creatively engaging with other stories that they've read and other things. Um, it's there's really kind of a spectrum um, from the most you know daring, bold, fresh new novel on the market um, to what has been traditionally called fan fiction, right? Um, they really are on a spectrum of how you, and I, 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 and I could come, I'm not going to lecture on this, but we could go right back to Tolkien's On Fairy Stories essay and where he talks about the cauldron of story, you know, how many elements of things that you read are all simmered together and that's where stories, where stories emerge. Um, oh. Susan Cooper says the same thing. Like everybody thinks they had a great idea until they discover that some bard in the 13th century had the same one. <laughs> exactly. Like, yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This is one of the reasons why uh, many years ago I was like, okay. Um, Cause I, I remember, I mean, I'm sure Maggie, you experienced this same kind of thing too. How much pressure I was under as a grad student to be like, you've got to come up with something new. Like you, you need a new angle like that. Yeah. You know, if, if someone else has asked this question before, you shouldn't talk about that. Um, and even on a critical level, I was like, 
okay, that's lame, right? Right. That's really lame. That, that's ignoring conversation. That, that's that's yes. saying that there's no room for discourse. Right. I want to engage with things that other people yeah. have said because I don't think this, you know, this it's, it's, it, this passage has been answered, right? Even though, yeah, yeah, it's been addressed a whole bunch of times. This question has been asked. Or it was addressed 15 years ago and doesn't take into consideration this thing that changed. Yeah. You know? Exactly. I want to keep talking about it. But it's the same thing with creative work as well, right? So even on a yeah. critical level, I wasn't fond of it. Anyway, so like since then, I've I've sort of, I don't know, kind of consciously said, you know what? Like, I don't... That question, like, but has anyone ever talked about this before? Is, like, not something I'm prepared to care about. Like, I'm, it's not yeah, that I don't right, care about yeah. anything anyone else has ever said. But the mere fact that people have talked about it is not... A, just as, like, the fact that this, you know... Uh, to what extent are your is you know like a story that you want to tell, um, you know, derivative of or you know related to other uh, other works? Um, well, I mean I don't know. It's you know e even there I, a lot of the things that people say. Um, I, I've seen a lot of things dismissed as derivative that I thought were really interesting, you know, engagements with something else. Like, yes, it was engaging with it closely, right? Um, but um, but do I think it was just, like, you know, mindlessly repeating? No, I don't think it was yeah. mindlessly repeating. Um, but um, anyway, yeah. So, uh, uh, so yeah, I, I definitely think uh, I, I would love to encourage people generally to sort of, I don't know, <laughs> free their their categories a little bit in thinking about creative engagement in these ways and i, I also just think like the the whole study of adaptation is pretty new you know yeah. i mean like there's been stuff in the 60s and 70s but it didn't really get any strides until the 90s and it's not that that stuff is useless but i think we can all agree it changed pretty substantially from 2005 onwards with digital media so like there's so many new things at play but the categorizations and the like denominations and even the genres within film haven't adapted, yeah. ironically. Uh, so everyone's still kind of under this blanket of adaptation, but there's so much within that that it doesn't seem quite fair to have like adapted screenplay be one category, right? Like there's right. there's such a variation of these things that yeah, yeah. But we'll try to grow along with it, and I think we're going to try to just chat through a, a new glossary and see what we can figure out about some of these categories. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking about the new categ categories, let's let's. I brought this up at the end of last time. It's something I've been thinking and, and chatting with people about a lot. Um, I've had a lot of conversations at Moots lately with folks about this, kind of trying out this idea. Um, and I think, I think that I'm, I think I'm convinced that these categories that that this that these are meaningful categories, uh, meaningful categories in which to kind of divide adaptations. One really interesting way to think about adaptations, and the 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 the, the kind of uh, variable, right? The the thing that separates these categories is it's about how they relate to the text, how they're connected to their source material. So just to repeat, when I, as I mentioned at the very end of last time, just to repeat the categories again, my first category are or what I call retelling adaptations, where you're just taking the text and you're dramatizing it, you know, more or less straight up. Now, there can be lots of variations within that category, some looser, some closer, um, um, you know, not, and that doesn't just mean some that, like, sometimes people... I've heard people talk about looser adaptations, Maggie, as if that's merely a failure, 
like yeah, you know, like everyone's trying for a close adaptation, yeah. and some of them suck the at it. So, yeah. so they, um, often Loose is the goal, you know, right. that's fine. You know, if they're using inspired by a kind of idea and they're changing the story, that's fine. But it comes with some things to navigate and be aware of and right. explanations of why you change things. But, you know, if you're inspired by a story and that gets you to make an incredible film like Shawshank Redemption or Green Mile, which are both based off of short stories and you make changes to make those beautiful films cool you know right. like what a great use of that creativity right right um so i actually so an example of a really loose adaptation which i would still count in this category would be the how to train train your dragon idea right where it has almost nothing to do with the story of the original book but it's taking place within that world and using many of the characters. It's very, very loose, but it is a kind of, it's a very, very loose retelling uh, thing. So, 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 so you've got retelling adaptations on the one hand. Uh, the second category are what I'm calling fill-in-the-blanks adaptations, where you're telling a story that is from within the world of the source material and building on things from the source material, but is not a story that was actually told in the source material. So, um, the Rings of Power, of course, is a the you know the current example, right, of a fill in the blanks adaptation. It is in Tolkien's world. It is dealing with Tolkien's characters. It is addressing stories that Tolkien pointed to. But he, it's not a retelling. There is no text um, that you can go to that and say this is the you know it is built on those foundations, but it is not. Um, it is not even meant to be a retelling of a story that Tolkien wrote. Um, and uh, of course it's, it's talking about the rings of power that has inspired me to make these categories. Cause I find, um, you know, so many times when I'm talking to, you know, fans who are sort of processing or possibly refusing to process um, what's, you know, what's happening in the rings of power or whatever. Um, it's so often like I we can't even start the conversation because like the very first thing like you know like they'll be like I don't like the Rings of Power because they change so much from the text and I'm like right. oh how what do I even start yeah, what text are we talking about what yeah. changes like in what yeah. sense is can that make sense um, I want to come back to this because of course I want to I want to discuss this with Rings of Power as an example but um, but the third category just to complete the category list the third category is. Uh, like um, maybe a variation adaptation would be a good way to describe this. That is when you're, you're, you're kind of retelling the story, but you're deliberately shifting it in some, you're, 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 you're more riffing on the story than you're doing a retelling of it. Right. Exactly. So I, I, I you know, it, there are many examples of this from Shakespeare, um, right. Many of way, many ways, like West Side Story is a classic example, right. Of that exact kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or uh, or that uh, that really interesting um, uh, the Othello movie, uh, O, with Julia yeah. Stiles. Oh, yeah. uh, back, that was a really powerful movie, um, yeah. uh, and and very much an adaptation. Uh, th th it was it was an adaptation of Othello, but it's not just a retelling. It's not just a dramatization of Othello. It's a it's you know taking it into a totally different context. Clueless, great example. April Clueless is a yep. uh, a phenomenal example Classic. of this kind of a variation adaptation of Jane Austen's Emma. Um, so yeah, so that's that's and so I would count that as a totally different thing. Th this came up at SoCalMoot. We were chatting at lunch, and people were suggesting 
we've never had this kind of adaptation of Tolkien before. Like it's it's never yet happened. Um, someday it will happen, I'm sure. Right. And we were talking about like possible ideas for this kind of thing, right? Of like, what if you were to tell the story of the Lord of the Rings, but set it in like the American West, like right. make it a Western, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, and it was like, and we, we kind of talked about like what that would look like and stuff, right? Um, and uh, th- so I'd, that'd be fun, <laughs> right? Like, that'd be interesting. Those, yeah, I mean, those kind of films exist where we just right. change the setting, we change the lead, we change the nationality, whatever, and it's a different story. I mean, it's super popular right now to do like gender swap leads and, you know, and, and have, she-Hulk taking the lead and things like that. Yeah. Stores, you know, and that's part of, you know, the canon, but doing that and twisting things on their head and, and mixing it around. Yeah, that's, that's pretty big right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, so anyway, so that, that's a whole separate category. Now, now, again, my point is these three different categories of adaptation are... They are they are all all three each of each of the three categories is is related to the source material. Well, let me just stop there. They're all related to the source material, right? They're all based upon a relationship to source material, but they all relate to the source material very differently, right? Um, and my um, the thing that I feel is really important. To do. And again, this is this is now a concern. This is now a practical concern for Tolkien fandom, um, because people keep wanting to put like the Rings of Power next to the Peter Jackson films and compare the relationship to the source text to the Peter Jackson films, and you just you fundamentally can't do that. They're related to the, the to the they're attempting to relate themselves to the source material in a fundamentally different way in that way. And I want to, I want to kind of build a vocabulary. So, I mean, basically, and I know you've said before, you're, you know, you want to encourage people not to use words like faithful, right? Which is a very, you know, emotional term. It's a tough word, yeah. It is a tough word. But, but the question, of course, that I'm always asked, right? The, the question that I find myself always attempting to address is the question, how faithful are the rings of power to Tolkien's works? And I feel like I want to do more to build a vocabulary to try to yeah. talk about that. And, and I feel like acknowledging the difference between a retelling adaptation on the one hand and a fill-in-the-blanks adaptation on the other hand is a really crucial place to begin. Does that, yeah. does that make sense to you, Maggie? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like these are just terms that haven't grown with what's been going on, and they're too reductive for all of the nuance that exists and stuff. And I think one of the things that we've talked about before is just like the categorizations exist in everybody's mind, but they're not clear to anyone, and they have to be clear to the creators. Yes. So if they're not aware of what they're engaging in, the risk of adaptation is so much higher because you can alienate the fan base so much faster. So if you have no idea that there's all these different levels of adaptations and have the clarity to be able to talk through that and think about that in terms of creation, you're digging yourself a hole before you even begin. And that's why the reaction is so strong. And you know, there's a question here about, like, why do you think the Tolkien fans are more reactive than others? I don't. I don't think they're more reactive than others. I think they've been around longer than most fans, so they might have a broader range so therefore we have loads of platforms and loads of different voices and different perspectives but yeah i think not understanding the nuance of these processes as a creator is problematic because we as an audience might not have that definition but we're we're gonna react to however you, you deal with that so if you can navigate yeah. it early way better 
I love yeah. coming up with a new lexicon for this, like a definite, a few um, academics are certainly working on this. Linda Hutchin, Robert Stam, you know, they've been talking about this for decades. And there's not like a clear answer. We don't have a glossary for this yet. Right. But there is this kind of continued conversation of like, it needs to shift. <laughs> it it yeah. does, just so we have better tools in our toolkit to improve this. Exactly. And that's that's definitely what I feel like my goal when I hear people talking about this, my goal is not to say, like, I'm trying to convince you the rings of power is awesome. That is not my goal. My goal is I want to be able to have a more constructive conversation because the to me, the most frustrating thing about the whole rings of power conversation was that almost all the time. I felt like I'm just speaking at cross purposes with people. Like we're not talking about the same thing. We're, we're, we appear to be talking about the same thing, but we're not addressing the same questions. There's so much core vocabulary that is not established and not clear. Um, and, uh, and, and it seems the, the comparison with the Peter Jackson adaptation is really seductive because that seems like a very logical and very objective thing to do. Right. Here we've got one adaptation of Tolkien, and here we've got another adaptation of Tolkien. Let's compare and contrast their relationships, you know, how they treat the, the text, how much they change from the source text, right? But and, and, and it has the appearance of a totally rational, totally objective kind of approach, right? But it's totally unfair because they're undertaking completely different projects. I mean, at the end of the day, to me, it's almost like saying, like, who do you think is a better player this nfl quarterback or this major league pitcher right it's like well wait, what do you mean like they're know. doing different like, things i totally see what you're saying but i also feel like it's a little bit closer than that uh, and i'm maybe closer really, than that and it's it's really interesting to make that comparison so i i don't want to say you can't make that comparison between the two but in your context it's not really helpful because we're not talking about the same start exactly point. Exactly. You're right. It's it's not to say they're incomparable to each other. Yeah. 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 I mean, I really do like the comparison of the two because we are alive and aware and living in this world that Peter Jackson built. Like, yes, there's lots that came before it, but like he really did give us the definitive visuals of what everybody expects for Middle Earth. So I, I, I really like bringing Rings of Power into that world and seeing how it lives in the same space or how they change things. And that's, that's Mm -hmm. really cool. But in terms of story, 100%, we're starting with, characters and dialogue and arcs and you know points and plot points and climaxes and, and really specific things and nothing you know so filling in that gap right very right. different starting point yeah yeah so what are some what are where do you think it's sensible to begin like when trying to explain because the, the, and this is what I'm trying to work out. Like, how do right. I explain this? Right. How do, when, when you're trying to, when, when you're trying to do what, what is a perfectly sensible thing to do? You take the adaptation and you take the source material and you want to do some comparison and some thinking about that. Yeah. Um, it seems to me that there is, there's a bigger gap in the case of fill in the blanks adaptations. There's a bigger gap between the two. Right. Um, hang on a second. Maybe it, it would help to find a sort of more neutral example. That is, people are still very much in their emotions yeah. about Rings of Power. Right. Sure. What, can we think of another example? What's another example of a fill in the blanks adaptation like this? Well, 
The one I'm thinking of now is Andor, but I don't want to talk about that yet either. I do want to talk about that, though. So we're going to bring Star yeah. Wars into other yeah. hands and hands. We should. But we should. They are filling in the gap as well. Could we talk um, about something like The Mandalorian then? Yeah, because that's kind of a cripple, and it does give us extensive backstory and made-up characters. Yes, Mandalorian's a really good one. Yeah. Okay, so so let's think about The Mandalorian as it's it's related to the source texts. Right, so we have. I mean, I mean, no, even down to the explicit. Can like, you know, Luke comes in right in the final episode. So we get these explicit connections with the timeline and the mm-hmm. world. Um, not to mention I mean, locations like Tatooine, right? Yeah. Um, you know, which well, plays a significant role. Um, and so we have we're we're connected with the with the sort of the frame there. Okay. So let's let's let's. I I, I to Clone Wars. I mean, there's there's characters right. that exist in other arms. Oh yeah, yeah. Like like the the the, the Ahsoka uh, episode yes, of the Mandalorian. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, okay, okay. So, um, so great. I I agree. I accept Ma- the, the Mandalorian as a good example of this category of adaptation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they have lots of visual cues to keep us in that world too. We have like ships that we recognize. We have characters and creatures that we recognize. Right. Even the, the like, interactions with, like, uh, the, you know, the, um, well, formal, former Rebel Alliance, you know, cruisers and stuff like that. You know, like the, mm-hmm. seeing people in those orange the flight suits orange and vest, stuff, yeah. right? And, yeah, yeah. And I love, like, the tech has maintained the same. So even though, like, we are now in, we are in 2022, <laughs> the tech is still very, like, 70s-esque. And it just right. It works, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Okay, so when we're so when asking the question, um, how do we go about then asking the question um, again? Again, if somebody wants to wants you know if if somebody wants to think or you know to to make an argument for how faithful is the Mandalorian to the source material, how do you how do we go about constructing that argument? Like, what's step one of doing okay, well, that? First, let's acknowledge that we don't have a Star Wars based on a really clear set of text. So it's, right. you know, we, we know there are books, but it's not like the, the, the Yeah, here, here we're kind of having to take the established films, or really even including, as you say, Clone Wars and stuff like that, as the text that we're kind of comparing to here. Uh-huh. So as you say, it's, it's not the same because we got one film in, or one visual uh, thing, we know, one show inserting itself among other films and shows, right? Which is not quite the same as... Uh-huh inserting itself amongst, you know, the, you know, lore and world and stories of written text. But again, um, with that, um, with that acknowledgement. Yeah. But I, I already think like, I'm already seeing in the chat, like, I just don't think we can use the word faithful. Right. I mean, faithful to what? Um, I think we can say authentic. That feels like a okay. better word. Okay. You know, if is it authentic in the world? It is certainly yes. a word people have been applying or not applying yeah. to the Rings of Power. So I mean that 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 yeah. word seems to check out as being relevant in that and sense. And authentic is still problematic because who's setting the rules of authenticity? Like what's authentic yeah. to me might not be to you. So I can see with so know, much of, of the power. subjectivity is and yeah. and th- th- that that to me is like a big overarching thing, right? Like okay. I I don't know how many times I have heard people say things like, like you, you, you know what my first uh, this whole experience has catapulted into the top of my list of like pet peeves and uncomfortable questions. Does it feel like Tolkien? 
right. people keep yeah. asking that or yeah, keep yeah, talking yeah. about it. it just doesn't feel I mean, like I, talking to you me get what they mean but we don't have the lexicon for this it's almost <laughs> so, perfectly subjective i mean what yeah. i hear almost every time somebody is talking about whether the rings of power feels like tolkien is like this disappointed my expectations. Like I had a negative feeling about this, and so I mean I would have been. I I didn't use that phrase. That phrase was not in circulation back in you know two thousand and one in the same way that yeah. it is now. If it had been, yeah. I'd have been saying all day long, the Peter Jackson films don't feel like talking to me. Uh, right. Like I mean, many of the visuals, yes, but like the story, no. Like I, I um, and again, what I would have meant by that is nothing other than. I have the Tolkien story in my, you know, I have this Tolkien story in my head, and many of those things are like, and it's varying from those in right. ways, right? Like that's not my Aragorn, that's not my Faramir, that you know, and so therefore it doesn't feel like Tolkien. Yeah. Well, and so much of that depends on what your definition comes from. So, you know, if you think about Star Wars, whatever your gateway into Star Wars was, that's probably what built the world for you. So, if Clone right. Wars animated was your first gateway everything else is going to be slightly different. So Jackson yeah. was my first gateway. You know, then I read everything. So for me, I'm always going to compare everything to the films, which then take me back yeah. to the books. Whereas you're always going to go to the books that are influenced yeah. by visuals from the film. So like our base of comparison, you and me, is insanely different. And we're really of the same cloth. So compare it to somebody else that has, you know, none of that exposure, you know, a family member that's never read Tolkien or whatever, or just watched that one thing, all of our levels are going to be utterly different. Yeah, yeah. So trying as much as we can to be, as I, I do think that some sort of, like, we have to clear away as much as we can the purely subjective reactions, right? Like, that's different from what I had in my head. Um, that's, you know, whether that thing in your head came from Jackson or from Tolkien, right, you've got to clear that out. Or similarly, again, with The Mandalorian, whether that thing in your head came from The Clone Wars or from the original trilogy, you can't just cling to that uh, to that one thing. Um, uh, Madagot had a really interesting um, suggestion here. He said... Um, uh, he can't find a word to mean something that gels well with existing worlds and stories, almost like an antonym of anachronism, um, but instead of time, it's world. I, I, told, I, I, I see yeah, what you yeah. mean, right? Like, yeah. there, there's, when you say something's an anachronism, you're saying it doesn't fit. Right? It, yeah. it, 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 it doesn't fit with the time sequence, right? Yeah. Um, and therefore doesn't fit within that world. Yeah. Um, so what you're wanting is like an, an, an antonym to that, but broader, right? Um, yeah. I agree. I think that that's, that's exactly the kind of concept that I would love to... I feel like we, we might have to invent a word. I think uh, we need to start making a list of the words that we need, and then yeah. this sounds like a fun project of walking around that and uh, figuring one out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one word, and again, it's not a super useful word, um, but I find myself using the word consistency or consistent. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. how consistent I, that at least is less uh, emotionally fraught than faithful, um, uh, but consistency is, uh, um, and I agree. Um, as um, uh, somebody was just, oh yeah, um, uh, Phil was just saying, what's the opposite of anachronism to begin with? I don't know anachronism. of an antonym yeah. to anachronism exactly. Chronism. <laughs> Yeah, chronism. Yeah, that's sort of our well, yeah. first uh, our, our first problem, I guess. Consistency just makes me think of 
regularity of mundane of repetition it it doesn't have that that i don't know that word that we don't have it doesn't have that yeah 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 continuity continuity sarah the problem with continuity is that continuity is often implied often applied like internally as well as externally like if it's if it's like it's talking about a continuity error means there's a mistake from one scene to the next you know or whatever like within uh, a, a show um and so i think it would create confusion to use the word continuity um I feel like synergy is the closest synergy yeah. I kind of hate that word because it's like a marketing buzzword. But well, it's it exactly it gets like, it gets used so vaguely as a buzzword yeah. that it feels not useful to try to use it precisely. But but it does mean like working well together, you know. So yeah. like if there's a synergy between two companies, great. So right. I feel like that that's in the right field. Yeah, that's the right kind of idea. I think. Yeah. Um, uh, does it does it work uh, again? It, consistency is you know is it is it is it consistent? But again, it's more than just that. Um, I I don't like consistency because it's sort of um, uh, too bland, really. Yeah. But um, but anyway, let's not get too tripped up over vocabulary. Uh, I do this a lot. Um, but okay, so but again, the question comes: What are the right questions? to ask, to start really thinking about the relationship between a fill-in-the-blanks adaptation and the source material. So again, so if we're trying to approach this objectively about The Mandalorian, right, and we're not saying, do you like it, or, you know, whatever, how did you respond to it? We're saying, how is it connected? You know, how, uh, so we're thinking about those questions of consistency, um, those questions of synergy, right, with the source text, taking as the source text the other... Star Wars universe stuff that preceded it, right? Um, and yeah, good. No, I mean it's. I think the challenge here, and this is something that I've been kind of sensing all along, is that it's a much more complicated question than it is with a retelling question because you you can't just go to a passage, right, and be like, okay, here is this incident as it's depicted in the film. Here's the the chapter in which that incident is depicted in the book. Right. Let's compare and contrast these two texts. That's well, not a trivially trivially simple exercise. Yeah. There's still a lot of nuance to that comparison, but the framework of the question is much simpler. Right? Um, how did they? You know, how did Peter Jackson depict the Balrog? How did Peter Jackson depict Treebeard? How did Peter Jackson handle the casting of the ring into the fire? You know, any of the specific questions you might have, um, you can ask specific question you, you can you can call up make specific comparisons right with a fill in the blanks adaptation you don't have a passage by passage correspondence in that same no, way you, you even have, with like, elements. characters yeah this has we been the problem have the dialogue we don't have well the yeah, and i mean even with characters like you can't even do the thing that everyone was doing like oh but Goad, their goadriel is so different from the 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 book Goadru. Well, yeah, she's supposed no to kidding. be she, thousands yeah. of years before. Well, and I loved Bear's ex- uh, um, explanation of that. Uh, was it the Godfather or whatever? You know, massive series it was. Where he's like that character in scene one, act one, film one. 
is not who we see. Oh yeah, the episode. young Vito Corleone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that was a great illustration. Gla- yeah, of course the Galadriel. Of course she's different. Of course she's in second age is different right. than the Rings of Power than Galadriel we see in the third age. Yeah, and and so to just start off, well, again, you might now we were arguing before that even in a retelling <clears throat> adaptation, merely going through and cataloging changes or variations not is not a helpful or useful way to approach analyzing or, or evaluating that adaptation. But in a, in a fill-in-the-blanks one, it's especially inappropriate. I mean, it's, yeah. And I mean, just like baseline of just process, like how most folks approach an adaptation is learning the rules of the world. So that is a famous line, a really familiar line that a lot of authors have heard, that when somebody buys their their material and wants to adapt it into a text, they'll often ask the author for the rules of the world. So Susan Cooper gave the rules of the world. Um, Philip Pullman gave the rules of the world. They basically wrote a little book about what has to exist in that world. We do that automatically. We just don't necessarily know it, but we have rules for these worlds. Like we just know how things are supposed to function in these spaces. So as a creator, you'd have to start with a world like the second age and write down what we know for sure. Right. Now, what are the places? What are the people? Who are the races? And same with Star Wars. What ships are we capable of flying? What worlds are known in this time period? What maps exist based on the core content that we have and the canon materials that are out there? Because there's a lot of them. And yes. where can you then find the gray space between those factual points? Right. And in Second Age, we got a lot of gray space. Yes. And with a lot of gray Mandalorian, space. a lot of gray space. Yes. But a lot of rules that help structure that gray space. Mm-hmm. And that's where the fun comes in, right? So, like, we know the world of Mandalorian because we know there's this group of people, Mandalorian, we know Boba Fett, but he wears that mask. What does that mean? All of a sudden, we have this whole world right. that follows the rules because it fits, but is all made up. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So, yeah, those rules are like an important thing today. Yeah, I agree. And that, I think, would be a really good place to start the conversation. Um, yes. when you're trying to talk about that relationship to say, okay, what are those rules? Like, what are the things that this is a second age adaptation? So we can't just start talking about its relationship to the text, but we can talk about its relationship to the framework story that Tolkien established for the second age. Right. Um, that is a perfectly appropriate question to ask. And I think maybe that's a, a really good place to start because yeah. if we don't establish that, then we're going to end up kind of, I think, squirreling off in, in some false directions if we don't. Yeah, exactly. It's clear just about so that. easy to ride those slippery slides into mayhem if you mm-hmm. just ignore the things that we know and all of a sudden, I'm thinking Susan Cooper again, all of a sudden your hero is an American who's 14 and has a love interest and a twin trapped in an alternate dimension, which is nothing like this. <laughs> if you're right. going to make those changes, be aware of why. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're allowed to make those changes, but why? So yeah, if you don't follow the rules, it's real easy to slip into. Oh, but what if? But what if we did that? And what if we did that? And, yeah, yeah. Go off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, praise. I, I, I hear you. I know this is a major issue with the, some of the later Star Wars stuff. Is the exclusion of the extended universe books from the Star Wars canon? There was a specific decision made. To, you know, to say all of the extended universe books that had been written since the Star Wars trilogy came out were sort of excluded, or most of them. I don't even know the exact uh, rules there. I never read any of the Star Trek book or Star Wars books. Star Wars. So, 
that's uh, um, that's something that has. But but so so yes. So that's I agree. Praise. That's a, a sort of a fundamental thing. But again, that's that was the a fundamental choice. Like they 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 did redefine the rules there, and it's another thing that's tricky. It's another thing that makes the Star Wars world so different from the Tolkien adaptation world, right? Is that there is not that source text in the same kind of way. Um, uh, I do like harmony. That's a nice I, word. I like harmony too. That's resonating. Yeah. Yeah. That's my favorite, <laughs> I think so far. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's my favorite so far. Um, because it's some complimentary, it works with it, but it's different. Right. Hmm. Right. It needs to be in harmony with the source text. Yes. And I would say this is especially true, and this is true in a different way of a fill-in-the-blanks adaptation compared to a, what, a, a variation adaptation, right? Um, adaptations like Clueless or the O movie or whatever, or West Side Story, have to be related. They still have, there still has to be some harmony. Yeah, it has to be recognizable if you're going to do that. So we say, right. oh, she's her, she's her, he's him. But that's more like... Um, um, that's more like a, a different key. Yeah, well, more than that. That seems to me more like a, we're gonna take a, we're gonna take a, a a symphony and write a piano version, right? Or we're gonna take this piece of music that was designed for, and we're gonna do like a metal version of you know this folk song or something, right? Like you're still doing the original song. But you're making a, 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 a you know total change in instrumentation and occasion, right? Um, so yeah, that's actually maybe like a, my uh, my son is a particular fan of things like uh, metal rearrangements of like traditional video Holy. game yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, themes and stuff, yeah. right? He loves those. Um, or like my husband loves like 1930s versions of heavy metal, uh, so you can switch it the other way. So it'll be like an Iron Maiden song done by like a 1930s yeah. girl band. Yeah, yeah, like yeah exactly. Exactly. That's that's exactly the kind of thing that a variation, you know, it, it, a, I'm still not happy with my categorical word for that, but whatever, I'm actually maybe even just using the metaphor of... Um, uh, of a, um, um, you know, that kind of a re-instrumentation. Um, sorry, I lost it. I just said it, but I've now forgotten the word. Arrangement, that's the word. Yeah, A rearrangement adaptation, yeah. maybe, is a, is a way to, to, to describe that. Yeah. Um, and so, but, but different rules apply, right? I mean, like, you certainly can't be listening to the, you know, the girl band, uh, you know, like the, the uh, like a, like a, 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 a a folk trio reimagining of an Iron Maiden song um, and say, like, do a point point, point by point comparison and be like, well, okay, so let's compare, for instance, their use of the electric guitar. Like, not yeah. relevant, yeah. right? Like, do, that's not what we're doing here. Yeah. Right. Just as it would be inappropriate to look at something like um, West Side Story or, or no, yeah. at, at something like O oh, and say... Now, their use of iambic pentameter was a mess. Like, it was just a mess, you know. Like that. No, like that's they're not. They're not trying to do that. Um, however, with a fill in the blanks adaptation, you've got something which does have to harmonize. This is more like adding a another part to a symphony, 
right? Adding another instrument that wasn't there before, right? Or another line. Um, it's uh, or writing a continuation, which is of course more like exactly what it is, rather than doing that kind of a rearrangement uh, of um, uh, of of things. Um, yeah. And yeah, uh, Von Diel, I think you're right. Um, Von Diel says Star Wars Clone Wars was the ultimate fill-in-the-blank adaptation in the Star Wars world. It was literally filling in the gap, right, uh, uh, there. Um, and, uh, and yeah, many fans were not happy with the first season. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I hear that. I mean, fill-in-the-blanks adaptations are hard. But, as Art of Praise points out, Rogue One was a fill-in-the-blanks, and I think that is one of the best films, I mean, standalone films I've ever watched. Like, I use that in classes to kind of show like a perfectly made arc and a beginning and closing, but how it fits into the bigger picture, it is a work of art. I mean, it is beautifully done for filling in that great space and fans, you know, loved it and had a yeah. great reaction critically as well. Yeah. Rogue One is, is, is a great example of this yeah. genre, uh, this not genre, this category of adaptation. Okay, well. Yeah. But it is tricky, you know, like how many have tried it? And that's the only one I can immediately come up with is doing it really well. But somebody else also pointed out, there's no reason you can't love all these things just because it's different. Doesn't mean it's wrong. You can right. still like them if they change stuff, but you can also see why there's a struggle. So that's what I like about analysis. Like that's an interesting choice. I don't know how I feel about it, but I can talk about it. And right. Right. And you can talk about ways in which, you know, it it serves the stories, ways in which it pushes. I mean, to me, at the end of the day, with any kind of adaptation, what I feel like I have to do and when I really want to think carefully about the relationship to the source text, at the end of the day, there's no shortcut around. I've got to do an analysis of the adaptation on its own ground. What is it doing? What is its story? What is it saying? And I've got to do an analysis of the source text and ask the same questions and then compare the answers to those, not compare point by point along the way, but to compare the answers to those big questions. And um, I mean, and I'd be doing it differently. I'd be, you know, but, but at the end of the day, like, even if I'm looking at something like this is why when I, when I think of examples, uh, even going to the more extreme um, uh, uh, rearrangement uh, uh, category of adaptation. Like, why do I think that Clueless is such an amazing adaptation? It's one of my favorite adaptations of all time. It is a brilliant, brilliant adaptation of Emma. Um, and it is the way that it, it's like when you look at the story, like when you analyze the story, when you, when you think about the, you know, the story and the characters and the character arcs, um, and you, uh, uh, and you compare that to Emma, to the Emma story and the Emma characters and character arcs, um, the, 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 the closeness in the end of the stories that the two of them are telling is really gorgeous. Like that is, that is fantastic. And of course they also managed to have a whole lot of point by point parallel and similarity. They didn't have to do right. Um, something like the O film is much more loose as far it does not try to parallel the exact plot progression of Othello in the same way. Um, not to the same extent that Emma, that, that Emma and Clueless are connected, for instance. Um, if yeah. you want to stick with the, the musical theme here, that I think somebody mentioned it earlier, like, I think it's a great word to use cover for that, you know, like Clueless is a cover of Emma. Right. Because it does hit the same notes. It is saying the same thing, but it's such a unique and new way, but it's really recognizable as the original. 
Whereas, like, that wasn't a cover of O, of Othello. You know, right. that that was a rearrangement. That was that was very different. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I, think, I think we could we could establish like gradients in within that category, right? Of those, mm-hmm. uh, the extent to which they're attempting to parallel the plot, um, which again, Clueless is very careful in attempting to parallel the plot of Emma. Um, yeah. uh, it's in fact, it's one of the things like. I don't have many criticisms of Clueless because it's genius, um, but the criticisms I would have are there. Are, there are times that they they try to stick too close, they try to parallel things too exactly, mm. and it doesn't and and, and it doesn't work it as well. It, it, it strains. Yeah, yeah, it strains. Like the way in which um, they try to compare. Uh, they try to in the. I won't try to get too deep in the weeds here, but in in Emma, Emma paints a picture of her friend, right. And the picture is prized by the guy who actually loves Emma, right? Because it's her painting, and Emma thinks it's because of that. It's a painting of of, of the. And in the in Clueless, Emma take or the the Emma character takes a picture of the Harriet character, uh, t- just t- t- takes a photo, and he puts the photo of her up in in his locker, like not because it's a photo of her, because but because the Emma character took it, which for a photo just does not work like it works yeah. for a painting, right? Um, so there, I think they tried to make the parallel too exact, and therefore it weakened it in that way. But but, but again, like, n- d- nevertheless, lots of... Um, oh my god, I want to do a whole episode on Clueless with you. Actually, oh, so, I wanna do so a, good. I want to do two. I want to do Clueless and Ten Things I Hate About You, because then we can do Time Years of True and Emma next to each other, and they are so damn good. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I love yes. Them. Yes, really good, oh, really awesome. good. Yeah, no, no, I agree though. Like that one is, you can see it, but it doesn't have quite the same. And I wonder if that's just a modernization thing that a photo is just not the same as a painting. It's not, it's, I don't yeah, know, it doesn't quite have the nuance. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's it's they're, they're really yeah. I mean th- those are both um, fascinating uh, case studies in uh, in in that kind of adaptation, um, and I. I wonder if anyone else could suggest. I love the Star Wars suggestions. The Mandalorian and Clone Wars, for instance, both work really well. They definitely are in this category of fill in the blanks adaptation. Can anybody else think of another book based fill in the blanks adaptation? Something like um, Fantastic Beasts. Fantastic Beasts. I was just thinking yeah. is 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 I I, I that counts one hundred percent. That counts. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's actually definitely. that's yeah that's a really spot on one. Fantastic piece. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think much beyond that though. I'm sure there's many, but yeah, I um. Yeah. <laughs> We're both just like I'm gonna have to right. go through my uh, catalog. I'm going through my bookshelf in my mind. Yeah, I can't think of other f- films or shows that were exactly that kind of thing. Fantastic yeah. Beasts is a great example. Yeah. Um, sure and I think this is, and, and I mean, and here's another thing we should probably <laughs> acknowledge. We should get used to this because we're going to see this a lot more. Right. I mean, the success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe means that once a franchise becomes successful, 
the desire to continue it and, and not just necessarily continue it forward, but prequels and everything else. Right. That impulse is clearly very strong. Right. And so we're going to see more of this kind of thing. Like, for instance, I mean, there's a lot. Um, I'm thinking of Dune now. Right. The second Dune movie is coming out. And obviously there's there's more forward. There's a whole series of Dune books that could come. But there's also a bunch of fill in the blank stuff that could also come um, if that if that goes well. Um, Evan is asking, uh, how does the um, how does the idea of spinoff fit in? I think that is TV, first of all. Yeah, I think it depends. Yeah, if if it's a film, I would think that's not really a spinoff. It's more of like a. I don't know. So like, okay, so thinking, thinking of spinoff, a classic example of spinoff, right, is um, uh, Cheers and Frasier, yeah. right? Yeah. You t- like one character goes solo Friends and, and, Joey. Yeah, Friends and Joey. Yeah. yeah. Friends and Joey. Right. Um, but the thing is, is that very few of those attempt any form of real continuity with the other show. Right. Mm. Um, at least I don't, I mean, I was, I didn't. Sometimes there's a guest appearance from the previous right. show, but there's there's no right. reliance on previous knowledge of that show. It stands on its own. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh man, Phil's asking, how about Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead? That's complicated. <laughs> the relationship between Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead and Hamlet is complicated. Um, yeah. yeah. Both of them is a spinoff of Mandalorian. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and, you know, we're, sure. And we're starting to hear there's going to be like spinoffs of Aragorn, right? There's going to be like a spinoff story of him, and all these, right? All these things are going around of like, yeah, a spinoff just means we're we're going to follow another gray space, right? And, and fill in that gap. But those would be um, the the problem is a spinoff like a like Cheers and Frasier, uh, for instance, back to that example. That's not a fill in the blanks thing because there's no source text. It's just. Right we're kind of continuing, we're not continuing the same story, we're doing a tangentially related story, and it's kind of vaguely in the same world, but again, it's not an adaptation, right? So we're talking, but but yes, if we do get... the same rules. I mean, if it's in a fantasy world, it would have to follow the same rules, because it's in that world, the same way, you know, Joey doesn't get on a flying unicorn and fly through Central Park, and, you know, it follows the rules of actual Earth in in Manhattan. Right. But yeah, so that's it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, By the way, another interesting example of adaptation, another interesting example of adaptations, which is are definitely retelling adaptations, are the uh, the recent Disney live action versions of the earlier cartoons. Right. Yeah. That's actually an interesting. You know, the source text is the cartoon, right, and the um, uh, you know the animation and the 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 adaptation is the new one. Those are definitely retellings. but that um, was really, that's a good example of too, like how they were trying to align that with the source text. Like when the trailers were released, they were shot for shot exactly like the animation. So yes. they did that on purpose. So the live action matched what we knew, and it was like I don't know, it felt like a familiarity thing. Like don't worry, we're not going to mess with what you love. Here's what you know, and then the film could go off and do what it needed to do. But it was still a very close adaptation. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Um, it was, uh, but um, anyway, yeah. So, um, but thinking of spinoffs, absolutely. If we get other series, if we get other like third age stories, 
Young, the Young Aragorn series, which I've been suggesting for <laughs> a decade now. Um, uh, I think that that you know um, that would that would that would obviously be an, a fill in the blanks adaptation as well. Anything else that we get in this vein, all right? I mean, until we start getting those rearrangement adaptations of Tolkien's world, which will come eventually. One day it will happen, right? Um, but in, but uh, uh, but everything else is going to be fill in the blanks uh, stuff. Um, Oh, that's a good one. Where the wild things are, cloudy with a chance of meatballs. So, like kids' books that are a familiar landscape, but there's not a lot of story. Well, th- that's story because you that. can't do a retelling of the. Yeah. I mean, but that's a gray space. That's a yeah, definitely. It exists, but we can expand. Cloudy. Well, both of those, cloudy with a chance of meatballs, or where the wild things are, um, are they're almost less stories than they are concepts, right? Yes. That are kind of played out for a little while, but there's not like a narrative arc exactly in either one of those books. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, you're, you're necessarily doing, um, doing fill in the blanks from day one. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, Which is what there. second age is. We know what first is. We know what third is. Yeah. The yeah. So, so harmony. So then how do we evaluate harmony? Right. How can we like what are some objective ways to say to be able to talk about how harmonious a fill in the blanks adaptation is with the source text? One is I I, I agree, as you said, starting with the framework. Right. Uh, First question is, does it follow the rules? Um, And that's a that's a really, really important. That's a really important question. Um, And if it if there are specific points that don't follow the rules, can we call that like discordant points? So if it, if it goes against yeah, the harmony, they you can certainly like count, this, yeah, and, and like an interesting example with the Rings of Power here would be the timeline, right? The way in which the um, the chronology there's been less time compression so far than there has been time shifting, right? We're shifting the Rings of Power story from the middle of the Second Age to the end of the Second Age, um, and mo- much of the rest of the timeline is being left. Um, Pending what happens with the Balrog and Moria, of course right. we can't really tell how shifted the uh, um, uh, the dwarf plotline is uh, to some extent. Um, but um, yeah, um, so, Madagat, I, I still I refuse still to like to talk about the Elven fading storyline. We don't know enough. Like well, that yeah, was left too we, unresolved. I can't. We can talk I can't about what even. We see interesting that they're bringing that up but we don't know you know right it's, it's one of right. those things like i guess that was a foundation or a seed planted we'll see where it goes yeah yeah After exactly reminding myself of that this is an infant series we're waiting for the toddler period yeah. and then we're waiting for the young child and yeah but yeah but that idea of harmony and discord is i think that is a really useful tool uh, vote by piece of a piece of nomenclature. It's not perfect, but I think it is useful because discordancy is exactly the kind of thing that it is fair to point to, right? Mm-hmm. I, and the a biggest example of discordancy. It's it's my number one, the number one thing. If I had to make a list of the things that I in the Rings of Power that I thought were most discordant with Tolkien's world, it is Gilgalad's dualistic mm-hmm. sentence. When Gilgalad talks about the strength of evil, right, and the um, and like the, these, you know, the, the the you know these good elements and these evil elements being combined together into Mithril, um, that was discordant, 
um, that I, I, nobody talks like that. Like that's that that was discordant from the basic like worldview of Tolkien's world in that way. Um, I found that line very discordant in that way. Um, and that any, I th- yeah. Go is there ahead. any situation where you think that could have been purposeful? Like, do you think there's redemption from that? Is is there a world in which you can see that that made sense, or is it nope, just discordant? <sighs> It's hard for me to imagine an elf uttering that sentence as it was uttered, even if he's wrong. Like, he may be wrong about the fading of the elves. I think he is. He may be wrong about Mithril. I suspect he is about that, too. Um, there may still be lots of misunderstanding and outright lies and, and everything that, that are still being worked through and that they and we are going to learn more about in seasons two and three. This is why I'm not even... I feel like I'm 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 giving the elvish fading plot line an incomplete for season one. I can't even evaluate right. that. Um, yeah, yeah. But but that line, I, I feel like no matter what turns out to be true, it's hard for me to imagine Gilgalad or any elf saying that sentence. Um, uh, and that feels but, like assault yeah. number one. Like if that if that is completely discordant, doesn't even fit. You're like ah, and then the second one is why. So if you're going to make the mistake and there's a reason, I can understand that and work with that. But if there's not a purpose, yeah, why? <laughs> and that, I, and again, and that that I'm that I am still kind of holding fire on. Like the reason yeah. I'm not jumping up and down about that line and angry. Uh, and by the way, this is where people will people who have been listening to me for a long time will remember how unwilling I was to say that I thought the Hobbit movies were a bad, uh, were bad films until after I'd seen and thought about film three. Um, I absolutely refused. I was, I was, I was all benefit of the doubt until that point. I am going to be the same with the rings of power. So I'm not going to jump up and down and say, I'm not going to use that, that sentence that Gogal had uttered as evidence that like, they don't get it. And this is bad. Um, who knows? Who know? There are lots of ways in which things could be recontextualized. Um, it's hard for me to imagine coming to a point where I would never consider that sentence a blemish. Um, but there are ways in which it could be used, even if those ways end up being, as you suggest, at variance from Tolkien's world. Yeah. But if they're making that choice for particular reasons and it works out in particular ways, I can yeah. I can live with it. And exactly what Meow just said. Yes, it's going to be years before we actually find out if we like it or not. But that doesn't yep. mean that that doesn't mean that you're removed from critical analysis. It, no, critical analysis is not because I'm doing critical straight. analysis. Yeah, exactly. It's not, <laughs> it's not straight up opinion. Like we can still share things. Like I found that discordant. I struggled with this. That doesn't mean it's bad. It means I don't understand why it worked this way yet. And yeah. if that loose end isn't tied up, then it's a problem. But and, if that loose right, is yeah. seed planted and it comes to fruition in season four, holy crap, that was amazing. Well done. <laughs> you know? Right. And I would add, and again, this is just like my experience in like analyzing books and all kinds of things, right? Um, very frequently, I will have a, I will think that a, you know, a point is, you know, bad or doesn't work. And then that will be changed by what comes in later. So there are a lot of people who are saying a lot of, very firm things about things like the, uh, the, you know, the Elvish fading plotline. And all I would say to you is that I think there's a very good chance that 
what happens in the rest of the show is going to make the things that you say now look silly in retrospect because we just don't have the data. We don't have the picture. We can't draw those conclusions. Um, so just to use Nameless Arcanum, I'll pick on you, um, uh, meaning no offense, um, but you're recent and I saw it. Um, Turning good and evil in Tolkien into the force makes me feel yucky, says Nameless Arcanum. It's not that I don't understand where you're coming from. I think I see some of the things that you're seeing there, but I don't think it is at all safe to make that. I, I think that that is that is not a conclusion. That and I, I'm not saying the conclusion about your assessment of its yuckiness. I mean the idea that the, the the statement "The Rings of Power" is turning Tolkien's concept of good and evil into the Force is, I think, an interpretive claim, which. Has no, we do not yet have enough data to bear that out. Um, uh, but um, anyway, I'm just saying, like, I don't blame anybody who has these kinds of reactions. Like, you can, and, and it's fair even to say things like, from what we've seen so far, this seems to be what is happening, or this, this is where, you know, we're, I'm not saying we can't analyze what we've had. I'm just saying, when you're reading the first chapter of a story, you always have to put it in the category of here's the data that we have. And it's okay. It's okay to start like saying like, so I'm, I was a physics person in college. So I always go back to this metaphor uh, where you, you take data points and you plot them and then you, you, you find the curve that, fits those in order to say what function is being demonstrated by this data that you've collected. Um, It's still how I think about literary analysis. If you only have a small number of data points, it's not totally inappropriate to start guessing at what formula might fit it. But you better put that in massive error bars, right? You better just make sure that you are... Yeah. big asterisk at this point. you got 20%. Yeah. We literally have 20% of the data, right? Yeah. And again, if you think about that, right, if you think about a scientific experiment and you say we've collected the first 20% of the data, so let's draw conclusions like so that's trending, sloppy work. Trending this way, you could say so far what we have here trends this way, but you know, often you'll get yeah. a clump of data which looks really much like this, yeah. but then when you put it in the context of all the data, you're like, no, that was just a local variation and it smoothed out in various other ways. Um, uh, what a wonderful example. Phil points out the first chapter of The Lord of the Rings is not a good data point. Right. Yes, if you stop right. reading after chapter one of The Lord of the Rings and draw some conclusions happen. about no. what kind of story this is, you're going to be dead wrong about that the story. The first Harry Potter book is not a good... You know, exactly. Any, anything of a, a big series, nope. That's yeah. not where we're going. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's... that Proportionally, that's a relatively apt comparison, Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's one out of seven instead of one out of five. But still, I mean, if you're if you were to to uh, say, I know what this series is all about. I, you know, I have I have the Harry Potter world pegged uh, after, you know, the Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's yeah. Stone only. Like, right. You don't. You, you don't. You haven't yeah, even you don't. met half the characters. And Phil, I, I read this. What has happened by the time you're 20 percent through Lord of the Rings? They are in Bree in the pub. That that is where we are. So, yeah. We have, we have not gotten very far. Let me recontextualize that. Once you have 20%, Tom Bombadil was 50% of what you had. <laughs> I'm 
just saying the Tom, the old forest sequence is like and, almost half of just, the of the total and content. About, and just think about who we hadn't met at that point. We hadn't even gotten to Rivendell. We hadn't gotten to Lorien. You know, there yeah. there were a whole worlds that hadn't even appeared on our map yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. The Bombadil cut. The Bombadil cut. That's that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Don't I mean, it's now. amazing <laughs> when you think about that. When you think about it from that yeah. from that from that yeah. point of view. And again, and this is why. So this is why I don't want people to misunderstand. I'm not. I'm not attempting to resist any negative assessment. All I'm saying is, you've got to. You've got to recognize, you've got to acknowledge. And this is why you're not going to hear me saying, I think this is a good show or a bad show. And it, and under the circumstances, it might be 10 years before I do, but I'm fine with that. I'm comfortable with that. It's what you, ha- I, in my opinion, for, like for me, it's what you have to do. But I also like hyper aware of like what the producers needed to be aware of. So like in terms of analysis, yes, this is what, how we should think and what we should yeah. be looking at in terms of creating the most expensive show ever made on earth and the expectation and the popularity and the platform and the name Mm -hmm. they Mm -hmm. want people to like it so there's also this added pressure of not just honoring the process and having it be in harmony with the world but also making sure that people will watch from episode to episode a week by week season by season i mean we said it before it's a big ask and we know their foundation laying this season but there is that struggle of like it's a big commitment to get them yeah. to tie in so you want each episode to stand alone and be really engaging too so trying to get all those points to work together is a really difficult symphony it really so, is and we're really in the introduction you know like we're i forget that's called in music we're just in the uh, what's that called in music? overture overture we're just in yeah. the overture yeah i'm gonna have yeah. to go because they're starting to board my flight i see them yeah. all standing up it's okay. just sad because I'm really loving this conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is really. I'm this gonna is, go fly for the next 14 hours. So. Right. This is really helping me. Yeah, man. Yeah. That West Coast to UK flight is a that's oh, a trip a right there. Yeah, here to Amsterdam and then a short one to home and then drive. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Yeah, um, that'll be good. I feel like we need to maybe hire like a note taker or something so we can start <laughs> start to make our glossary. Yeah, um, yeah. We can. We can publish. Yeah, exactly. We'll we'll publish a handbook or something, yeah. uh, you know, uh, at at the end. But awesome. no, I, that I, this is this this has helped me. I think. Uh, thank I you, agree. Maggie. Yeah, yeah keep I'll, I'll do. We've got some announcements and stuff, but I'll do those. Yeah, so you you can guys go. keep chatting, but I just want to say thanks and happy holidays to those that celebrate, and we'll see you in two weeks. But bye, guys. Bye, Maggie. Bye. Okay, so. Um, uh, announcement. So the first reminder: we're not going to. So I. And by the way, we're going to do a giveaway. So don't go anywhere because I want to do a giveaway here. Um, uh, for those of you who are on YouTube, you might want to pop over to our Twitch channel because I want to do. We're, we're going to do a giveaway on our Twitch channel. Um, uh, so uh, go to Twitch.tv/signumu and then you can get in on the giveaway. Um, because uh, what and I'm only doing that because I'm, we're broadcasting on multiple channels, but Twitch has a convenient giveaway mechanism built into the chat, and I don't know how to do that in YouTube. So, um, uh, so anyway, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. so here's so uh, we're gonna do a giveaway because this week is our fun the end of our fundraising campaign for Signum University, and so I wanted to, we are celebrating Signum University and all the wonderful people in our community who support us in various ways and make everything we do possible uh so i'm gonna um i'm going to uh so I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna do this now i'm going to open a giveaway here's what we're gonna give away i'm gonna we're gonna give away 
a, a token to our space program. We're going to give away a space token. This is a $150 value. Um, this space token will enable you to take any one of our month-long space courses that you want to take. Go to signumuniversity.org space to look at all the awesome things that are being offered in our space program right now. Really, really cool. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a giveaway here. Hang on, let me... Uh, let me set this to only Twitch. Okay, there we go. So um, you will see instructions in the chat here. All you have to do is type the word exclamation point raffle. Um, if you type exclamation point raffle, then uh, you will be entered into the drawing, and I'll do the drawing uh, in a little bit at the end here. So go ahead and type that now. Um, and those of you in YouTube, again, come over to our Twitch channel and you can enter into that. Now, um, other announcements. <laughs> I have a vague announcement to make. Um, you guys know I hate doing this kind of thing. I hate playing the, like, well, I can't say anything about this yet, but card, um, however, I kind of feel like I need to. Um, there's a thing happening next week that I can't tell you about. Um, we've been in, uh, the Prime Video folks have been in touch with us again this week. There's a thing happening, can't tell you what it is, but it's, but there's a thing happening. So watch out on Monday uh, for some announcements uh, of this. Um, you should be looking at um, yeah, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is what's happening. Anyway, um, uh, follow, l watch my uh, my uh, uh, my Twitter um, uh, channel. That's not the word. My Twitter account um, is where I'll be announcing it and stuff. So at, at Tolkien Prof. Um, and that's where the thing will probably be happening too. Um, so sorry for the mystery, but there it is. I not in control of the mystery. So, um, but I did want to let you know that, I mean, um, we haven't had things like this happening in a while. Um, and, uh, so I just wanted to let you know that a thing was, um, was, was going on. Um, but, um, anyway, uh, so that's next week. Then, then again, we're not going to have other minds and hands cause it's on Thanksgiving day. I will be, um, where will I be? Probably actually at the Thanksgiving dinner table with my extended family um, uh, at Other Minds and Hands time next week. Um, but uh, so we won't see you next week, but then but we will be back the week after that. Also, keep in mind, um, two days from now, on this Saturday, the 19th of November, um, I am hosting our fundraising campaign webathon. So we're doing, um, this is the finale of our fundraising campaign. It's a big event we do every year where we do this, uh, a big update and feature on everything that's going on at Signum University. I'm going to be giving my state of the university address uh, and talking about not just sort of the general vision of Signum University, but what's been happening at Signum University. We've got some exciting things that have been going on. Um, I'm going to talk to you about what new things we're doing and why we're doing them. Um, and uh, and talking about that, Maggie's going to be involved there. Um, Maggie will be joining me for a special update for about the new program that she is directing at Signum University moving forward. Um, 
so um, anyway, all of these uh, all of these things are going to be happening. We're going to have a big announcement from the Signum University Press, and um, it's going to be really cool. So that's going to start at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Saturday, the 19th of November. So join us right here, same channels you're watching now. I'll be broadcasting that uh, this coming Sunday. Um, okay, don't forget, exclamation point raffle for those who, uh, with no space, uh, for those who want to enter. Uh, the drawing will give away a space token. I'll tell you in advance what you'll have to do. So you'll get a free space token. Um, BlackBerry is the name of the registration system that we use where you sign up for, for space uh, uh, modules and stuff. So what you what you have to do, um, the winner, you have to make sure that you have a you have to create a BlackBerry account, and then we'll we'll give you your free token there so that then you can register uh, for your uh, for your classes. Um, so um, uh, you and so. The winner should send an email to info at signumu.org, and we'll make sure to get you all connected in all the ways that you want to be. Is there an expiration to these tokens? There is not. There is not. Uh, fry sauce, it should be Goldberry. We already have Goldberry. Goldberry is the registration system. It's actually, that, that, that came first. So we were making a registration system for our MA courses, um, and uh, that was launched last December. And... Uh, um, and the answer, it was Goldberry. Uh, Goldberry is what we decided to name it. Um, and she is the hostess, right, uh, of all of our uh, uh, master's degree courses. Uh, so all of our four-credit courses run through Goldberry. So then we were creating a parallel system um, for space, ultimately was what we created it for. Um, and the space system was very complex. Um, it was, uh, and so I was kind of joking uh, with Rob Gosselin, who's the director of space, um, that like the challenge that I set him in um, devising a registration, a, a, a mechanism for registration for uh, uh, for space, uh, was like the that one. Of, Watership Down is one of my favorite books uh, by Richard Adams, um, and it. Rem- Reminded me of that scene in Watership Down when Hazel starts talking to Blackberry, the rabbit, about um, the um, the plan to get the does out of Ephrafa. And he lays out, like, here's what it has to do, and then says to Blackberry, and this trick is going to, will be devised by you. Um, and I, I felt I felt kind of the same way when I was, when I was, uh, we were kind of laying out the parameters of what, how students are going to... Uh, be signing up for their uh, for their space modules, uh, and Rob came up with a solution. But um, uh, in any case, um, so we ended up naming the system BlackBerry after the very clever rabbit uh, who uh, uh, who who um, figures everything out. That's why the the logo of our little logo for Goldberry has a lily uh, a water lily on it, um, and uh, BlackBerry has the little rabbit on it. Um, anyhow, um, yeah, it makes sense to have Goldberry attached to the Masters. Yeah, I thought so. Thought so. Seemed to fit. Seemed to fit. Okay. All right. Last chance to enter. Going to do the drawing here. I'm typing it in. I'm going to close the drawing and then do the drawing and then I'll let you guys go. Okay. Closed. All right, and here it is. Gonna do the drawing now. Much suspense. 
Hey, congratulations. Higgy Baby wins. Okay, Higgy Baby, you win a space token. Send an email to info at signumu.org and we will make sure you get your space token. Congratulations. And great to meet you in Milwaukee briefly, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Higgy Baby was there briefly as like a moot crasher for, uh, for I don't know, like an hour, right? Um, but anyway, it was, it was great to get a brief chance to meet you uh, in Milwaukee at the Prancing Pony Moot. All right, congratulations, Higgy Baby. We're going to do a bunch of drawings and stuff like this uh, at, uh, uh, on Saturday um, in, uh, in the, uh, at the Webathon. Uh, so I hope that, uh, that you guys will be able to join us again. That starts at 1 p.m. on Saturday. Um, and uh, we'll be going through until probably 9, 10 p.m. Eastern time-ish. But um, anyway, thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you in two weeks, if not before. Don't forget to join us on Saturday. Bye now.